we can train and invest in our mindsets and begin to say, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to spend so much time now worrying about things that don't exist in the future or dwelling the past, you know, replaying stuff over and over. I'm going to be a bit more present and I'm going to value being present because it's the most important moment we have. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance and longevity. My name is Angela Foster and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, in this week's episode we are sitting down with my friend and fellow podcaster Paul Shepard who is the host of the Mindset Change podcast, a great podcast you should definitely check out. Paul's background is in integrative hypnotherapy, life coaching, neuro-linguistic programming, integral eye movement therapy, counselling, cognitive behaviour therapy, acceptance commitment therapy and mindfulness and he is a master in helping us create change in our lives. In this episode we talk about how conditioning from the past can prevent us from achieving our goals and living our best lives and how coaching can be more effective than therapy in addressing anxiety and creating positive change. We also talk about the benefits of devaluing negative thoughts and programs and why it's so essential to do that to break free from limiting beliefs. This is a jam-packed episode. You're also going to hear a lot about self-love and visualizing your future self and learning some powerful tools for transformation. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to Paul Shepard. So Paul, I am so excited to have you here today. It has It's taken a little bit of time actually to get this on the calendar, I think, yeah, <laughs> between us. <laughs> we're here, we're here. We're here, we're here, exactly. And mm. I think I have so many questions. Um, I've been avidly watching your Instagram account and all the reels you share and also the amazing content on your podcast. And I have lots of questions for you. And I think ones that are going to really help my listeners today really understand how to create change in their lives. Because I think that one thing we can be certain of, right, is that life is changing. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we're not seeing the changes that we want to see in our lives. What would you say from all the thousands of people you've worked with, what is the key thing that's coming up for people? What's preventing them from really stepping into and, and living their best life? Do you know, it's um, usually conditioning from their past that says you can't achieve something you're not allowed to have something there's all sorts of um programs which you know i've got to be super successful but that success can be defined by whatever sort of parameters that might contain so it might be very limiting um we can have what's known as an upper limit problem so some people get to a certain level when it comes to success and then they do everything they can to sabotage the hell out of it. I would say that happened with, um, uh, you know, like Bill Clinton. That's a good example. He became the president of the United States and then did a strange thing with Monica Lewinsky. Uh, we saw the same thing with Will Smith recently. Um, well, with Chris Rock when he uh, went up on stage and, and punched him. Um, you, you get to see people reach a certain level of success and then bring it back down. And so you, can, you can't help but wonder... I wonder what's really going on for that person. I wonder why they're, you know, sabotaging themselves, sabotaging their lives. And there could be a few different reasons, but it's conditioning somewhere along the line. 
And my understanding is that this conditioning, you were saying mm. somewhere along the line, a lot mm. of a lot of practitioners I hear talk about the conditioning happening when we were under age of seven, when our brainwaves were in a more theta state and we were just just recording effectively a mm. program that's being installed into us as opposed to consciously you know, reflecting on it and deciding, well, actually, I don't accept that, which we can do as we progress through our teenage years and our adulthood better. But seemingly, if we have a program running, it's very difficult to to deinstall that. When do you think that conditioning is happening? Because some of the things I reflect on, that I think I feel, I feel like some of those were actually put in a little bit later because I have memories of them. But then maybe I just don't remember under six so well. There's a lot of there is a lot of science talking about what we pick up conditioning wise from our parents and um you know adult caregivers as we were growing up you know so we form attachment styles etc but i know i agree with you i think some programs do form a little you know a bit later um from having you know if you you know went into a relationship with a narcissist for example now yes you could you could go oh why did that, that person do it but not every person is going to enter into a healthy relationship um, you know, just because they've had a, a good or, or bad past. So there are things that can happen later in life, which can have quite a profound impact on us. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of links into our history from when we were growing up. But I think that's why it's important to have a coach or a therapist to explore not only where these things have come from, which are nice. I mean, this is why I'm a big fan of coaching more than therapy, because um, for anxiety especially, I think it's important to begin to look forward into what you're going to be doing differently more than because mm. some people can spend years digging through their past, which is fine if that's what you want to do. I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. And I've had therapy. It's lovely. It's got to help me know myself. But why I love coaching is the ability then to begin to become proactive in what I can do to move forward, like looking at the future self stuff. Because mm. as you know, it's, the way that you see your future will determine your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors today. And that's, that's quite profound. Yeah. And if, if we're so busy focusing on the past and the why, and we, and to be honest, I mean, if we are not really honest about our past, we're guessing that this is where the conditioning has come from. So it sounds good. And we, and it may be true. That's fine. But the reality is we don't really know. We're just, talking about fragments of memory which we think are in relation to why we have that problem hmm. and a lot of people there's a lot of time yeah it's interesting isn't it yeah, yeah yeah there's a lot of time spent on that there is and almost too much time right and I think um it's, it's interesting because I look at like my own children for example and as and I remember my childhood and you dream of what's possible you think about when I grow up I want I want this mm -hmm. right and you're dreaming and then there's a point in adulthood where some individuals stop dreaming or stop believing in their dreams. Mm. And I think that's that's the most kind of distressing part is because they no longer believe that this can hold true for them. Um, and I'm not sure when that switchover happens. Sometimes I think, as you say, it could be from a relationship, right, that you've been conditioned that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you can't have this. Um, but there does seem to be a switchover point. And I think that we almost have to remind ourselves to approach things like an athlete, right? And visualize the outcomes and the success we want and kind of future pace ourselves so that we don't create from that past because then you're just creating more of the same, right? Again and again. Mm. Um, 
And but I think and I, and I think as you say, coaching has its has its merits. There, you mentioned anxiety. Mm. Um, that that coaching in particular seems to be more helpful sometimes than therapy for anxiety. Anxiety is a big thing. Um, many, many people struggle with anxiety, almost this underlying level that's kind of going on at all times. What was causing anxiety? You know, going back to what, just going to mention why I prefer coaching with anxiety than therapy and what and the cause is, is when I had anxiety, there was no help or no advice that would have helped me with my anxiety. I know it sounds strange. I was offered medication, which I was too frightened to take. And I had a therapist who just asked me what was wrong, talked to me about my past. But no one, Angela, no one mentioned to me about my lifestyle. It was terrible. You know, the alcohol, there was, um, you know, the amount of caffeine that I drank. Uh, the, my sleep uh, hygiene was really out of whack. Um, unhealthy relationships, uh, living no purpose. No one asked me about any of that. My breath work was terrible. I was such a shallow breather in through the mouth. And this was exacerbating pressure on my nervous system. And then that this is the same for a lot of people today. So it, when it comes to anxiety, if we think about mind, body, heart, and purpose, usually there are elements of those being neglected. So our emotional and physical needs are not being met. And I'm a big believer that the mind and body and spirit, however you want to call it, your essence, your energy, your soul, whatever your, your terminology, they will send anxiety as a messenger to say you need to get your shit together. <laughs> you know, it's that it's that tough. It's because otherwise um, anxiety will just become a victim to it. And we're not victims to anxiety. I know it might seem like that. I felt certainly felt like that. It actually pushed me to the very edge. But at the last minute, I had that uh, feeling. It was like a deep voice within me. My own intuition said, you're looking at this all wrong. You're over-focusing on your mind. What are you worried about? Your past. Instead, you need to come back into your body. And I had no idea what that meant at the time. And that's what led me eventually to looking at it more holistically, mind, body, heart, and purpose. But I was just getting it really badly wrong. And that's what's going on today. Most people are over-focusing on their minds, trying to find that magical thought, that magical solution inside their head, which will suddenly alleviate their anxiety. And it doesn't exist. It doesn't. It's true. I've had, I mean, I, when I was experiencing depression, I had a lot of anxiety alongside. And that, mm. um, I, I think one of your... Um, one of your videos that was just so impactful when I watched it and I got my husband to watch it was when you, I think you asked the question, what will your next thought be? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's a, I almost want that to sit with people listening, right? Because it's a really interesting question. Yeah. It's because it's going to sound really odd, but we're all quite delusional. Yeah. Um, our minds time travel a lot based on our past, you know, we'll go into our past, we'll go into our future. And the only moment that's really important to us is this. This this is the most important moment of our lives. And I think one of the biggest sources of our misery is the idea that there's a, as a future moment more important than this one. And it drives a lot of people, mm. um, you know, with success and chasing happiness or um, any other sort of extrinsic goal to forget in a way, what is happening in the here and now. And that mindfulness exercise, that question, I wonder what my next thought will be. 
for most people, creates that blank space inside their mind. Because we're looking for the thought. Mm. We're not thinking the thought. So that's the mistake some people make. There are people who go, oh, no, I thought of an elephant. And what they're actually doing is they're just thinking. They're not actually looking for the next thought. And I think some, I think something mm. like 12 million people have watched that question now, which is insane. Um, but a lot of people did get it. A lot of people did get that pause. And for the first time, even if they had ADHD, their minds stayed silent just for a few moments. And there's lots of different mindfulness exercises that can actually create the same effect. And that, that question was from Eckhart Tolle's um, book, The Power of Now. Interesting. Yeah, it's a powerful book. One of the things you and I were talking about um, offline earlier, we had quite a long chat yes. uh, that was really interesting to me, is we were talking about some of my own experiences and uh, Paul's helping me just where I might hold myself back. And one of the things you talked about when we talk about programs being conditioned into us is that to override it uh, and kind of create a new thought or a new program, I needed to devalue the original one. And yeah. and no one has ever mentioned that to me. I've done hypnosis. I did years of therapy when I had uh, depression and uh, it was major depressive disorder I had. And, and no one ever said to me, to devalue a thought or a program that was there. Can you share a bit more about that? Because it was, yeah. it was very helpful for me, that exercise. Well, let's, you just mentioned, because uh, I, I love that you mentioned the word thought, for example. Try and, you know, think, when you think of thoughts, we have around, I think, I can't remember, I don't know how they work this out, about 60,000 thoughts a day. And, and scarily, just to mm. uh, mention this to your audience, is that they reckon that 80% of our thoughts um, are negative. And that 95% of our thoughts are the same as yesterday's, right? So, I mean, that in itself does beg the, you know, the question of we need to, well, not beg the question, but begs us to think of something new so that we have new thoughts, new feelings and new behaviors, or we're just going to keep repeating yesterday. So that's no good for us. But a lot of those thoughts don't get registered to us because they're boring. We, they just flit in and out of the mind. And we don't pay much attention to them. Now, I work with people who have intrusive thoughts where they get the what if and then they'll get the, you know, something that usually is quite horrific, something that they would never want to do because intrusive thoughts play on people's values. And therefore, that thought, that thought now has huge value. It triggers, uh, you know, an adrenal and cortisol response. So therefore... Um, the brain has woken up to this thought. We're paying a lot of attention to this. And therefore, it's just like trying not to think of a pink elephant. Yeah, you're, if you try not to think of that intrusive mm. thought, you're going to think of it again. It's the same with any type of conditioning program. It's there unconsciously, but what we resist persists. I think that's really important to remember. The same with any type of negative thought, any type of behavior. The more we begin to devalue it and make it boring, and that's what I do. What I do with people with intrusive thoughts and their uh, and their programs is that when we do de devalue it to the point where it's boring, or we really begin to see the cost, the real cost of holding on to it, and that takes some radical honesty. It's amazing how quickly we change. Like just before, um, you know, we've we've talked before about this where you gave me uh, some advice about a smoothie, not to put bananas in a smoothie because of um, it can have an impact on the quality of antioxidants. So before that, 
I had a belief that adding a banana to my smoothie was a good thing. New information completely wiped that out, and now I refuse to do it. <laughs> do you see? So new information that devalues something that we currently do can stop us doing it altogether. People do that with all sorts of belief systems all the time. You know, think about when you were growing but up. How? Yeah, mm. yeah, I was going to say, when you're growing up. No, go have, on, continue. Yeah, when you're growing up, you have, you believe in lots of different things. Yeah, and then as you're growing up, you begin to think, oh, actually, someone might tease you and think, well, it's a bit silly to believe in that now, isn't it? And you'll be like, yeah, yeah, I don't believe in that now. Um, and we, this is how we do that with lots of things in life. We move on from things that no longer hold any value. There might be an element of shame believing in this um, I, in, in this program or belief. So we let it go. And that's why I think it's important to, when you begin to bring up a, uh, a an old belief uh, program that might be around success or self-sabotage or guilt, is to completely devalue it to really see it for what it is. Usually something that's been given to you by someone else. You weren't born with it, but given to you by someone else. And there's a part of you that thinks it's really important to keep it. And your job is to help yeah. that part of you realize it's not. Would you like to uncover the secrets of your metabolism and hit your weight goals in a really easy, scientifically driven manner? For over a year now, I've been using a smart little device called Lumen. And through a simple breath test, Lumen helps me optimize my fasting period. It tells me the best time to eat carbs, how to fuel my workouts, it tracks how stress and sleep affect my metabolism, and gives me daily personalized meal plans. Lumen is the first device to hack your metabolism and reveal your lifestyle and diet's true impact on your health and ability to lose weight and it can help you to enhance fat burn lose weight and boost your energy naturally and lumen is giving listeners of this podcast 90 dollars off all you need to do is head over to angelafoster.me forward slash lumen and enter code angela90 at checkout to save 90 dollars you can finally take charge of your metabolism in 2024 with this exclusive discount. Simply head over to angelafoster.me forward slash lumen. That's A-N-G-E-L-A-F-O-S-T-E-R dot M-E forward slash L-U-M-E-N and enter code Angela90 at checkout. Now let's get back to the show. And do you think some of that is down to repetition of hearing it so you know if you think about there, there could be any number of things right where people feel that they're not either worthy of something or they can't achieve it whether that is and it's usually one area sometimes unfortunately it's multiple areas for people in life but usually it will be you know I think universally everyone wants health wealth and happiness right those three things people want or at least they want to be wealthy enough they don't need to be concerned about it right so when we look at that the happiness side, they want to have loving relationships. Some people will hold themselves back because they don't believe they can have a relationship. And that could come from conditioning in their childhood, but a relationship that, or that they're not deserving of that loving partner or that they can't have the wealth that they are seeking, that it's kind of for other people. How can they first understand that that is a program and call it out in order to then devalue it? Because I noticed that when I work with clients, sometimes they won't allow themselves first to dream that big. So they already 
qualify it. Do you know what I mean? And this is very like a very easy example would be when women have had children, for example, they, they talk about getting their weight back on what track to where they want it to be. And they'll be like, I'd love to be like this, but you know, I'd be happy with X now that I've had children. How did we do that? Like, why can't we go back to be, I'd love to be exactly as I was before and, and sort of have that dream. Why, why are we limiting ourselves and how can we recognize that and call it out and then understand the program and devalue it? I know there's quite a lot there. <laughs> I, I think it comes from <laughs> And life. then you could just tell us the secrets to living yeah. and a happy life. <laughs> I'll tell you about the, the secret to life. I think actually this is a bit of a secret to life is I, it comes back to that conditioning again. And, and why do we limit ourselves? And you talk about people want health, wealth and happiness. But yet, if you have a look at it, really, they know what to do. Most people know what to do to be happier, to be healthier, to be wealthier. But do they do it? No. So they go, so they'll look at every book they can about procrastination. Why can't I just go to the gym first thing in the morning? Why can't I, you know, stop dating the wrong types of people? And there's a part of us, and I, and I think this is a really important question to ask, is why is it more important for you to be unhappy than it is to be happy? Because if you think about it, there's a part of that part of that person. A, we've all had it. We've all got it to a degree that believes, yeah, that your weight being a certain, you know, being a certain weight or a certain shape, um, there's certain belief about yourself. What relationships you can or can't have will come down to your happiness. So we we kind of go along this line. And I do think this has come down to conditioning. Is we are conditioned towards be the struggle, the exci- the excitement, the drama. You know, the, the the victim mindset that comes along with these things, the things that we can put ourselves down with, the guilt and the shame. Um, and then we self-medicate with quick, you know, dopamine chasing habits just to feel good because of that pain that we feel. Because we, our lives, well, you know, the evidence for our beliefs is in how our lives are presenting around us, isn't it? You know, um, you know, the effort that we put into our lives produces what we have, you know, and what we're experiencing. And if we're not happy, then we have to ask ourselves this question. Why is it more important for me to not be happy? And I think just reflecting on that and going deep with it, most people hearing this question won't, won't focus on it. That's the reality because they're going to try and keep the unhappiness. But there'll be some people listening to this who will go, actually, all right, then I'll take that challenge on. I'm going to keep asking that question until I find the answer. And then you can devalue it. You can begin to go, okay, well, I don't need this program anymore. I didn't even know it existed, but it makes sense as to why, you know, I'm choosing a McDonald's over, um, uh, you know, a salad. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, those are those sort of stories. Why is it that I'm not looking after myself better and, and, and being honest with yeah, that? Yeah, and is it, do you think, do you think we sometimes become like Dr. Joe Spencer talks about, we've become um, addicted to the hormones of stress, almost like, we're addicted to the stress and the struggle instead of the happiness oh yeah I was when I had my anxiety disorder yeah and I began to do mindfulness which I didn't get first of all but slowly but surely I started to experience a bit more peace I was looking after my body better um so I started to feel less anxious and that made me feel anxious because I was so used to being hyper vigilant yeah, controlling everything, rushing around, burning the candle at both ends to some degree, not doing that. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what that was. So in a way, I began to mm. self-sabotage and try and get the anxiety back. Not consciously. It's not like I sat down and thought, what's the five ways I can make myself anxious today? <laughs> I, 
actually went and I would just find myself, you know, getting drunk or staying out again, doing an all-nighter, uh, all the sorts of things which would make me feel terrible for the next few days. And then, you know, just like in society today, it was, these are the things we did anyway. So I had, I, you know, it was a good excuse. Everyone does it. So why can't I? But what I was doing was I was self-sabotaging to try and keep an element of struggle and anxiety in my life. And how do we break that pattern then? Because so many people, so many people will do that, right? And they'll get, they'll get towards those results. And they're just, as you say, there's that upper limit problem or Dr. Maxwell Maltz wrote, didn't hear about us being cybernetic beings. And we have this set point that we will mm. always go back to. How can we break free and transcend the set point? I think, again, awareness is key and being around the right people uh, and getting the right coaching, getting the right help. You can't do this all by yourself because it is personal to every person's got their own personal program. So mm. it's having that help and uh, addressing it and beginning to build systems to break yourself free from it. But devaluing it is really important. Yeah, really important. And it's interesting because I think we can both share, like we're both coaches and yet we spend a lot of we invest a lot on coaching and I personally believe that anything that I am succeeding in in life I can get there faster and in a smarter way when I'm coached that's that's my yeah, belief and that's absolutely. why I will and I continue to and in you and I I think we're talking about the different things that we do I think some people feel nervous of doing that or feel like they should be able to they should just be able to figure it out on their own um, where do you think that's coming from? Again, it comes back to, I'm going to make things more difficult for myself. You know, it's not just that, by the way, but there, it, you know, you've got to look at what is it that's telling a person to, um, you know, we wouldn't go to the gym, would we? Well, actually some of us do, but we wouldn't go to the gym and expect to know how to use all the equipment and to be effective at developing the type of body that we're looking for, the level of health we want without having some form of training. It's the same with any job. And when it comes to life, we don't really get training. I mean, school isn't really enough mm. for any of us. Um, and um, we live in a culture, I think in America, maybe it's better, but here in the UK, um, there's not enough uh, still, you know, uh, promotion or positive thinking around actual having coaching, seeing it as a productive thing that will get you from A to B. Whereas me and you, we've had coaching, we're coaches, and we see the value in it. I have three coaches at the moment, or for different things, because I want to make sure that I achieve what I said I'm going to achieve. The reality is, I wouldn't achieve mm, any of those there. things without those coaches. That's the reality. And that's mm. where, you know, because I've, I've broken free of the, what can I do to be more miserable? <laughs> what can I do to be unhappy? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, that's taken a lot of work. But at the end of the day, it's if I want to get that book written, then I want to make sure that I get the right level of help for that. So my advice is if you're not seeking help, you're falling into the trap of staying miserable. You're falling into the trap of struggling, which is another way of you not reaching your goals. Suspicious, isn't it? We have to get suspicious. So if you're not reaching your goals, then you get to keep your misery. And maybe that, and again, everything is self-protective at the end of the day. And that's what every program will always re result in, some form of self-protection. And again, so why is it more important for me to be miserable? You know, so again, I get to stay safe, but from what? 
Yeah, it's just the familiar, isn't it? Um, I heard Dr. Bruce Lipton saying that um, on a podcast that when he's in a room in front of when he's in front of an audience, and he asks the question around who really truly loves themselves, eighty nine eighty to ninety percent of people do not. Mm. How can we? And yet, I feel that if you look at things like Hawking's map of consciousness, for example, right? And yeah, yeah. for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, you can go and look it up and visually see the emotions and vibrations that we experience and how the highest vibration obviously is enlightenment, but just down from that is peace, love, and joy. Yeah. So coming from a place of love is really where we want to be. And yet we don't love ourselves enough. 80 to 90% is huge. What yeah. do you think? Why do you think that is? Again, it comes down to conditioning, and you know, I'm, I'm, you know, being a Brit, um, loving yourself was classed as something egoic. It's something that we weren't taught. I wasn't taught that loving yourself was an important thing to do. Um, I also come from a family background where my parents were very proactive and functional, um, but I never remember them saying "I love you." Um, more recently, my mum has been doing it because we talked about it, and it was something that they assumed that you uh, you knew. But the reality was they didn't actually, um, you know, they didn't feel they had to say it. And my mum's when I talked to my mum about it, she went, well, yeah, my mum never really said it to me either. So, again, it's I think it's a sort of lineage that we can, you know, that's passed down to us where loving ourselves isn't something that is natural or easy to do because we haven't been shown how. And it's a lovely little exercise that will either give you the ick factor or it would give you a lovely warm factor to let you know how much you love yourself. And all you've got to do is put your hand on your heart and you've just got to say your name. So I'll say like, Paul, I love you. And that was a lovely feeling. But for a lot of people, what was it like if you do it? Go on, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to do it out loud? Yeah, go on. What, what's the result? Here we go. It. It's okay, whatever it is. Okay, so what do I do? I hold my heart. And hold I say, on your hand on your heart. Angela. Yeah, Angela, I love you. Angela, I love you. How did it feel? Do you know what I say? I love you so many times a day that for me, that bit doesn't feel hard. Not necessarily so much to me. I, I don't say it to myself. <laughs> Everyone's going to think, oh my God, she just loves herself. Not at all. I'm constantly telling my children how much I love them, like literally. And going in, when I realized about how you could influence brainwave states and things like that, mm. their mind from a young age, I would go in, you know, when you wake them up in the morning, such a lovely time as they're still asleep and they're coming out and just tell them and kiss them and say, I love you. I love you so much. You're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. And just tell them everything I wanted them to hear. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's magical. It is. And that's, you know, I do this often first thing in the morning because we're entering that theta, we're moving into that theta level state and we're very suggestible, but Paul, I love you. And I also like to add on to this because I do, I love myself, but not in an egoic way, in a way which I deeply appreciate where, who I am and, and where I'm going. And from that, I like to also say, mm. it's a bit of manifesting. Uh, I like to get my brain on point with this is to say, I wonder what miraculous, wonderful things are going to come my way today. And amazingly, my brain goes off like a little bloodhound looking for those things which could be classed as miracles for me to experience. And it's amazing what begins to pop up in life when we do that. We have very Mm. powerful minds and we underutilize them because we're caught up half the time in this struggle of making sure it's more important we stay unhappy rather than happy. Waste of time and energy. So true. It is. How much time do we spend worrying about things that don't even exist? What, how much is time yeah. and energy? Who was it that said, I've worried about a great, 
I've yeah. read about a great many thing, many things in my life, most of which have never happened. I forget who said that. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I, so I, true. Yeah, it's a great quote. It's, um, but it's true. <laughs> we spend so much time. And evolution has a big part to play in this too. So we can't ignore that. But we have a choice. We can train and invest in our mindsets and begin to say, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to spend so much time now worrying about things that don't exist in the future or dwelling the past, you know, replaying stuff over and over. I'm going to be a bit more present and I'm going to value being present because it's the most important moment we have. And this is why, and connect to a future self that is living more presently. And what would they, what would they be experiencing? What do they have that by doing this now, you would be moving that, you know, moving that forward, that creating that investment towards your future self. You know, so I see my future self. Whenever I did it, by the way, I kept seeing, I kept seeing this very peaceful version of myself. And I was like, oh, that looks really lovely. So I had to come back to the present moment and think, well, actually, there's a bit of chaos still here in places. So let's eliminate that and create something more peaceful. And that's still a pro. That's, that's you know, that's um, a process. That's still stuff that I'm still learning to do. But it's that's that connection with my future there. self. Yeah, connecting with my future self has been hugely valuable in creating a change in who I am now. Amazing. I feel like we have only scratched the surface. I know that you have incredible content, honestly, on your Instagram, where people can go and get like bite-sized pieces of this and really, really engage with it. And then meditations on your podcast as well and different things and interviews. Um, Please share, Paul, where can people come find you and connect with you? Yeah. So come and check me out on the Mindset Change podcast. So you can do a meditation, which I love doing brain training with people during meditations. They're not just sitting there and just feeling lovely and peaceful. They feel nice. There's always going to be some subconscious work going on in a meditation. And you can also find me on Instagram at uh, Mindset Change UK, TikTok Mindset Change UK, and um, on my website at MindsetChangeUK.com. Come and say hello. That's very easy. We will <laughs> we will link to all of that in the show notes, but it's Mindset Change UK. And definitely, definitely go and check out Paul and see all of the all the things he's sharing because they really are transformational. And uh, I'm grateful to have you in my life, Paul. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're most welcome. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey to vibrant health and high performance. Make sure you check out the show notes for a summary of all the important links to everything we talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the follow button and share it with a friend on social media or leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, achieving high performance health is about getting 1% better each day. So think about one thing you learned from today's episode and start implementing it today. Share with me what you've learned on social media over at Angela S. Foster. I love hearing from you and connecting with you. Have a beautiful day and always remember you are worthy of your dreams. Mm -hmm.